Well, it's drawing close to the end of the year. I just had a birthday a little while ago, so I kind of take the end of the year to get all my annual physical things taken care of. Uh, didn't used to worry about that, but for some reason I think it's important to get checked up occasionally. So I make an appointment with the family doctor for a annual physical, and then I see all the ologists that I need to see to make sure everything else is still ticking and going. And uh, so far, all the results have been just fine for your information, but someday they might not be. Someday one of the doctors may say, I need to talk to you about something. I don't think about that often. I don't expect that to happen. I don't plan on it, but it could happen. And if it did, ask yourself, if it happened to you, what's the worst word that the doctor could say? What's the worst thing that he could come in and say, I need to tell you about this? I think this day and age are aren't many things that just the word itself would be uh, horrible. We would ask what kind. You know, I mean, cancer is bad, but a lot of cancer is curable. Uh, the worst word probably would be incurable. You know, there's nothing we can do about it. It's just a matter of time. Uh, I think that would be the worst. And among the few diseases that are left that... Are, we have no cure for. There's some that seem to me much more terrible than others, but we all probably have our own opinion on that. In the Bible time, the word was leprosy. Uh, in Jesus' day, when you heard the word leprosy, it was as bad as it could get. I mean, the disease was horrible itself. It disfigured people. Uh, and it eventually killed people. You were going to die. Just a matter of time. When you first saw the rash, noticed a few white spots, and then a little rash developed, you were done. It wasn't really just that that made it so horrible. Because you were done, you were going to die, you were going to suffer through the disfigurement and all that. You weren't going to do it with any friends or family. You weren't going to have that kind of help, that kind of support. As soon as you were diagnosed, as soon as everybody agreed, yep, that's it, you were out of there. You were ostracized. didn't matter who you were. I mean, if you worked in the sanitation pits out at Gehenna, or you were the the best lawyer in Jerusalem, didn't matter. When the the rash was there, you packed up a few belongings and you left. You left civilization. You left your family. You left your friends. You could not enter the temple anymore. You couldn't enter a, a walled city. You couldn't be around healthy folks. You just took a few things that you could carry and went out where folks like you were. You'd find some other lepers. You'd make camp with them outside the city. 
And you'd learn the procedures of being a leper. You'd learn about hanging out with other lepers and that you couldn't go close to other people. And if any other people started coming close to you, you had to start yelling. Unclean. Don't come any further. We're unclean. Maybe. I mean, there was a really minuscule chance that it was misdiagnosed, that it wasn't really leprosy. It was some other kind of rash. And if the spots started to go away and the rash started to go away, you could go to the priest. The priest was kind of the health officer, and he'd look at it, and he'd say, yeah, it looks like you don't have leprosy. And you could go back to civilization. But that didn't happen very often. Basically, once it was diagnosed, you were out there, you were outside, you were away from everybody. Ten fellows like that. I don't know if there were more in the group or not, but at least ten of them hung out together on the border of Samaria and Galilee. Oh, and I know that they were, some were Jewish and some were Samaritan, and that wasn't politically correct. But lepers don't worry about that kind of thing. Lepers don't care what you were before you got leprosy. Once you're a leper, you're a leper, and they hang out together. And they support each other. So these ten fellows, the Bible tells us, live together. And Luke just says, now on his way to Jerusalem, that's Jesus. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, just that little piece there is a lot more amazing than it sounds. I mean, we know people ask Jesus for things all the time. But think what these ten guys were asking for. They were asking for a cure for the incurable. Uh, preposterous. I mean, crazy. But they'd heard stories. They'd heard something about this guy. They'd heard that he traveled around, and wherever he went, he did amazing things. It was highly unlikely that he could fix leprosy. I mean, odds are better winning the lottery, and a lot of things are better odds than that. But... They'd heard stories, and it was worth a try. So they evidently tracked him down, found out where he was going to be. They'd heard stories about this kind of maverick rabbi that traveled around, and crowds came to see him, and some people said he was the Messiah. And some people said he fed people. Some people said he actually cured people. He healed people. So these ten tracked him, and Luke just says, they stood at a distance and called out, <clears throat> called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, the response is from Jesus is fantastic. Luke says, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priests. Can you imagine that? you imagine being one of those ten? 
who had your mind made up you were going to die without family, friends, anything. And then you yell at this guy that you've heard rumors about. And he just says, go to the priest. Well, what's that mean? That means we're all right. And they evidently had enough trust in him, a belief of some sort, that they headed for the priest. Because Luke says, um, and as they went, they were cleansed. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine as they were headed toward the priest and the first one looked down and, and saw that the rash was going away? Ten guys all of a sudden cleansed? I don't know what it looked like. I imagine what it looked like. I imagine it looked like a bunch of four-year-olds on a trampoline. You know, all holding hands and jumping up and down and celebrating. In fact, I think it was probably even better than that. I think it was like four naked four-year-olds. Because they had to take their clothes off to see if they were really clean. And they're jumping up and down, screaming and hollering. And one of them, all of a sudden, turned around and ran the other way. Didn't even go to the priest, it seems. Luke says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus stood there and watched. This, this was gratitude. I mean, it wasn't just saying thank you. I mean, he was on the ground. He had the body language. He had the praise. He had the worship. He had everything going on. So what's Jesus' response to that? Luke says, Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found? Was uh, yeah? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, "Rise and go. Your faith has made you well." Okay, that's our Bible story. Now, now let's think about that a little bit. We know what the story is. We know how it happened. We know all the details. And Luke doesn't give us many, but he gets the story told. So let's think about it. My, my first thought after I read that story is, you notice how Jesus commented on the other nine? Do you ever wonder if he ever comments on us? Ever wonder if sometimes Jesus says, where's Tandy? I did this for him. I did that for him. I did this. For him. Where is he? You ever wonder if he thinks, where's Northside? Where's Northside? I did this for him. I brought him this far. I did all this. Just a thought. The reason I thought of that is, you ever comment on somebody? You ever think that way? I mean, sometimes simple thing. I'll hold a door for somebody at a store or a restaurant or something. Hold a door for them, and they'll just walk through like they were the Queen of England, and I should have held it for them. You know, they don't say thank you or anything. I mean, it's not a big deal, but does that bug you a little bit? 
You, you ever kind of tempted to say, well, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, that's the way we are, isn't it? The way we are, but, you know, should the Son of God be like that? Jesus comments on these other nine. Where are the other nine? How come they didn't come back? That you're welcome thing, some of you kids recognize that. It's a parent trick, isn't it? When kids forget to say thank you for something, you hand them something or you tell them they can go or you can do this or that, and they just wander off, you say, you're welcome. And then what do you get? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, thanks. That's not the same, is it? It's not the same when you have to kind of tell them to say thank you. Maybe that's what Jesus was, the way he thought. He maybe expects gratitude from us. Something to think about. Second thing I thought of is I wonder why he commented. Just keep with that thought. Maybe he, he does expect gratitude. He doesn't need our gratitude. He doesn't need us to say thank you. So why did he comment? Well, i got a couple ideas on that. And I don't know the mind of God. I'm not telling you this is exactly what Jesus thinks. And I'm comparing him to us, which is a bad way to figure out God. But it might give us a few clues. I mean, I'm thinking we, as parents, as humans, we don't like to be treated, you know, like an ATM. Just come on, I need $10 to go here. Oh, okay, here's your $10, and not a word. You know, we don't like that. We don't, we don't expect that in life. And what I thought of was, first, whether I'd comment or not, or what I'd do about something like that, depends on the age. How mature a child is. See, when, when a child is real young, just a, a baby, we start training them to say thank you. We give them something, we say, now say thank you. Somebody else gives them something, we say, tell Mr. So-and-so thank you. Okay. We, we don't get upset if they forget or don't think. We just remind them because we're training. But as we train, we expect more of a Less of a two-year-old than we do of a teenager than we do of a grown adult. So it kind of depends in there on maturity, I think. But more importantly than that, as I, I think through this, why do we train little kids to say thank you? It's not because we need them to tell us thank you. We're training them because it's good for them. You look at life and gratitude, a thankful attitude, is a key secret of happiness in life. Happy people are grateful people. Miserable people are complainers. I don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg, but that's the way it works. You find somebody that's a whiner or a complainer, they're not happy. You find somebody that's happy, they're grateful about things. They'll tell you thank you. Uh, people appreciate being thanked. That, that helps you in life if you know how to be grateful. That's why we train little kids, and maybe that's why 
Jesus thinks of it this way. Where are the nine? Didn't they even say thank you? Well, here's where it gets tough in a Thanksgiving sermon. I mean, you point out all these things that are true, I think. And you say, we ought to be thankful. And everybody in there says, amen, we ought to be thankful. Now, what do I teach you next? You know, anything beyond that, we've already agreed it can't be commanded. Anything beyond that is like mom's, well, you're welcome. I mean, I can make you feel guilty if I work at it, I guess. And maybe we'd think about it for a little while, but it's tricky business to make you thankful. I can't do that. All I can do is read the story and think about what Jesus thought when it happened. We can maybe notice one or two other things out of this. Let's see. One thing that occurred to me was all ten of them were healed. All ten of them got the same healing. But nine didn't return. I mean, there, there had to be some difference in there. What was the difference? I mean, that's what I asked in the title of this sermon is, well, what kind of leper are you? You know, we're all lepers. Uh, our leprosy is sin and trials of this life and all that. All of us got all sorts of messes going on, but, and Jesus blesses all of them. So are we the one kind of leper or are we with the nine? What kind are you? Only one returned. Uh, maybe it's this. Maybe the one. I, and I don't know what the difference is. But the one, we know it for sure, he noticed. He noticed the magnitude of what had happened to him. And the second thing he did was he took time to go back and say thanks. I think all ten of them probably noticed. Maybe the other nine didn't understand the magnitude of it as much as he did for some reason, since he was a Samaritan. But they surely all noticed they were cleansed now. But only one took the time to go back. So maybe that's where we can learn our lesson out of this. All of us are blessed in so many ways. And we take time this week to... Sometimes make a list or include things and our thanks that we usually don't. And that's a good thing. It's just once a year, but it's a good thing. But the rest of the year, sometimes we don't even notice. You know, we get so busy on all things that we don't even take time to notice to think about something that we ought to say thank you for, either to fellow men or to God. And then the second step's the hard one. If we if we do notice, sometimes we don't take time to do anything about it. I think that's the only difference in these guys. One noticed and he took time to do something about. It. And it occurs to me that's not hard. I mean, I could, I could make all of you do it. I can make myself do it. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, we could take. The rest of the day, if it took that long, and I could walk up and down the aisles, and I'm sure that I could think of something to thank everybody in here for. The way you serve, or the way you've done this, or the way I've seen you do that. And some of you are thinking, well, you don't even know me. Well, I'd thank you for being here. You know, I, I got one back up there. You're here at least. 
And I thank you for being here and for not snoring. And, you know, there are a lot of things I could thank you for. But most of you in here, you do something for Northside. You do something for others. You're raising kids well. You're, you, so many things that I could thank you for if I just forced myself to notice. And I could walk up and down the aisles, and I think I could do that and come up with uh, something for everybody in here. But that would be kind of like doing it after somebody said, well, you're welcome. You know, it'd just be showing off. It'd just be doing it because I was commanded to, sort of. So maybe that's the only step we're missing is that genuineness of it. I mean, saying thank you would be better than not. Well, I'll do that if that's the least we can do. But it's better when it's genuine, when it's unforced. I noticed this, and then I took time to say thank you. That's when it's really good. That's when people appreciate it. Uh, as I was writing this, these notes down, I thought, you know, if you ask me some highlights of this week, what went good for me this week, a couple things I'd think of, actually three things I'd think of. One is I got a voicemail from somebody. I got a voicemail that called and thanked me for something I said. I also got a note in the mail this week from somebody that took time to write a note and thank me for something that was in a sermon. And today somebody walked up and put their hand on my shoulder and said, I just want to thank you for what you did about this. Three people noticed something that was important to them and took time to do something about it. That was a highlight for me. Now, think through it. Would I have survived the week if those three things didn't happen? Yeah, I'd have probably been fine. I'd have probably been all right. I'd have just carried right on. In one sense, I didn't need any of that. But it encouraged me. It blessed me. And it might (laughs) motivate me to do some more of that for others. Ought to. But the two steps, I think, are what's important. To notice and then to take time to do it. I'm pretty good at noticing. And I'll notice something and I'll say, I've got to write that person a note or stop and tell them thank you. Sometimes I just don't get there. Takes the two steps. You know, we sang a song right before about God listen to our hearts. That works with God. Yeah, he can listen to our hearts, but the rest of us folks can't hear hearts. You've got to take that second step. you either got to say it or write it. You've got to hand it off somehow. So I guess those are my two points that without commanding you or trying to make you feel guilty, just reminding you the only difference between the one and the nine was one noticed the magnitude of what was done for him and then took time to do something about it. I think Thanksgiving's a good time to get started on gratitude. We do pretty good for a week. Wouldn't it be a good time to start 
for the next 12 months to actually work on being more grateful. Doing what God expects us to do because it's good for us. Pay better attention. Notice things. Think about it sometimes, especially with God. The things that he gives us and does for us. Just notice them and take time to say thank you. The Bible's full of verses that say to do it. First Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He wills that we give thanks. Psalm 107.1 Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Psalm 104 Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and praise his name. Psalm 28, 7 says, I will give thanks to him in song. Let's give thanks to him in song now. And if anybody here this morning needs to respond to the, the Lord's invitation, come. But let's stand and sing. Let's thanks.